Well, we've been uh, in a series on the on the Ten Commandments, and if if you haven't been with us, I highly recommend that you go to um, coastbible.org and check out uh, either really especially the the first sermon in the series. Um, God wants you uh, to be holy. Uh, we live in a culture that says, "Do what makes you happy." Uh, there's lots of things that make us happy, and that's what we should go after. Um, God says no. Really, what you should do is do what makes you holy. And as we saw, and again, really the first sermon is, is the place to see this. What we saw is, is that that, that print, the principle is this. God sets these Ten Commandments out, um, to make a community that is holy. A community that is basically conformed to the way He wants the world to be. And as a result, people who live in that community, abiding by those principles, they have a possibility for happiness. We think that happiness comes from, you know, I, I want to buy this, or I want to have sex with this person, or I want to do that. We think that's how happiness operates. God has a different vision of happiness. It's a, it's a happiness of, of thriving, of human thriving, of flourishing, of us being able to be set free to do all of the things that we were made to do, to create, to engage, to build, to share that that to, to have family and to live in that that's what god sees as the good life that is happiness and so our our overriding principle uh for this entire series is that holiness is what makes happiness possible and so if you, have, if you haven't heard that holiness is what makes happiness possible and if you haven't heard that if you haven't been with us totally check out especially the first sermon but um but all the way through we're seeing that these principles and I call them principles, not commandments, are the sorts of, of things that create a community, create hopefully a country, a nation that is flourishing, that is, that is, that is, that is on the path to what is good and true and beautiful. So uh, we're on the sixth commandment today, uh, and that is very simply this, uh, you shall not murder. Have it up there. Uh, and, and probably for most of us, we're like, yes, I haven't done that. If, if we have some murderers here, that's okay. There's forgiveness. Um, but if you, you should probably turn yourself in, because uh, that, that's bad. Um, however, the, <laughs> we see you shall not murder. That there's, that's actually a deceptive translation of this, of this word. Uh, the, the Hebrew for murder here is, is ritzach. Ritzach. And I want you, I just, just to show you why this is deceptive, check this out. Um, this is Numbers 35. It's an expansion on the command not to murder. Um, and don't worry about the details. We'll get back to them. But just notice this. The assembly must protect the one accused of murder, Ritzach, from the avenger of blood and the accused back to the city of refuge to which they fled. But if the accused, the person who is accused of Ritzach, murder ever goes outside the limits of the city of refuge to which they fled and the avenger of blood finds them outside the city the avenger of blood may kill kill ritzach same word the accused without being guilty of ritzach now you notice that your english translation has has helped you here right the english translation is helping you figure out uh the difference between murder and killing and that's very nice of your english translators but that's not hebrew <laughs> Uh, the Hebrew is actually uh, the one accused of killing. Uh, the, the adventure of blood may kill the accused of killing without being guilty of killing. There's no difference in, in Hebrew between murder and killing, uh, which is odd for us in English, but it is the way that the language works. Why is that important? Well, that's important for a number of reasons, but least of, least of which is this. 
This word, ritzak, gets used 45 times in the Old Testament in, the, in Hebrew. For, 45 times. And in every single time that it's used, sometimes it means like, yes, I've planned out and I'm going to go kill somebody. I'm going to murder them, the way we think of, of homicide. Sometimes it means, oops, oh my gosh, I did not mean to drop that rock on that person and kill them. But it always means this. It is the death of someone caused by someone else within the community of Israel. Within the community of Israel. You see, the Old Testament has lots of words for killing people outside of the community of Israel. Uh, Israel goes to war, right? Occasionally they get attacked. Sometimes they attack other people. And when they go out, there's different language for the kind of fighting and killing that happens outside the community. And by the way, for those of you, we do have a lot of people um, here in this congregation who have served or are serving in the military. One of the good things to notice about this is that the Sixth Commandment does not apply to war. Uh, the, sixth, the Sixth Commandment is only talking about death caused by one person to another person within the community of faith. Israel on Israel violence, American on American violence, uh, Californian on Californian violence, South Countyan on South Countyan violence, Coast Bible Churchian on Coast Bible Churchian violence. That's the only kind of violence we're concerned with here. Um, so not, not to say that, that the violence that's committed in war isn't horrific. It is. And I know that there's lots of Stuff that goes with that. Um, but this is not what this principle is about. It's about how does the community get along. And the idea is you shall not kill. Um, and why is that important? Well, killing is a much wider, wider uh, concept than, 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 than murder, right? Because killing happens, you know, like two people are outside of the bar and they're both, both wasted. And they start fighting and one of them, you know, hits the one on the right way. And, and that person dies. That's killing. That's why in, you know, American law, we have, you know, involuntary manslaughter, manslaughter, murder one, murder two. We try to come up with all of these different gradations to differentiate between the types of violence that we experience. What this means, and again, this is a principle, right? So God is saying, I want your community to be characterized by not having a lot of killing going on. Now, how does that happen? How does it happen? To, how do you create a community that doesn't have a lot of killing? Well, you limit violence. That's the, the, the basic thing. Don't go around starting fights. If you, if you take that aggression or you control it in, in certain ways, you will not have a community that's characterized by... So, uh, the first thing is, if you want to have an accurate translation of uh, Deuteronomy 5, uh, it should be this. You shall not kill. And if you want to understand the principle that's underlying that, the one that, that God wants his community to take away is this, the sixth principle, uh, second thing your note sheets, don't be violent. Now, uh, our culture gets a little crazy. Like people will be like, words are violence. You've hurt me with your words. I think that's a little crazy. But there's an, there, there is something that's accurate about it. There is something that's true about the fact that if, if, especially if I'm in relationship with you, I know you well, and then, and then I tell you the truth about you, and it's a painful, horrible, mean truth, and I do it in a really awful way, that's going to cause a lot of, and what that might, what might happen is that, that might cause you to be like, teach you to talk to me like that. So 
let's look at Numbers 35 again, and let's and let's let's dig a little bit deeper and 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 start thinking about the implications of what it means to be a community that's not violent. Uh, so going back to the text, um, the assembly must protect the one accused of killing, not necessarily murder. In fact, in Numbers 35, 25, uh, it's it's in question whether or not the person who's doing the kill was an accident or not. That's the whole point, right? You're accused of murder because no one knows. Maybe you did it on accident, maybe you didn't. So the uh, assembly must protect the one accused of killing from the avenger of blood. Talk about that later. And send the accused back to the city of refuge to which they fled. Um, we'll talk more about city of refuge in a second here. But, but this, the, the, the issue is this. There's somebody who has caused the death of someone else. We don't know if it's intentional or not. But it turns out that just hearing that has caused an avenger of blood, a relative of the person who's been, been killed, to go on a mission of vengeance. In honor-shame cultures, it's very common. Uh, if you violate me, then, then my clan comes and violates you in the same way. Tit for tat. Our honor demands it. This is uh, Tony Hassa. This just, um, this just happened uh, last August. So in August, this guy, Tony Hassa, at, at 51 years of age in Wisconsin, he gets pulled over on a, on a traffic stop. And I think he, they were suspected him of maybe drinking or something. And so, uh, they, they took DNA. Um, they, he, he got off, he went, they, they go back and they put the DNA in the Wisconsin state database and they get a hit from 1992. 30 years prior, they get a hit in a murder case. In 1992, um, this lady, uh, Tana, Tana, I can't remember her last name. Tana Mosgrove, I think. Um, and and, a, and a, a gentleman with her at night had been stabbed to death. And they, they couldn't find anything, but they did find, a, apparently he, she had fought back, and they, and they had gotten some DNA from her fingernails that had never been matched to anybody. And then 30 years later, at a traffic stop, Tony Haas's DNA is a match. And the investigators were baffled. Uh, he, he denies, he's like, he's like, I, I, what, what, I was, I was 21 at the time. I'm like, I, what are you talking about? The investigators, they did some work and they, they found out that in, in, in 1977, when Tony Hassa was six years old, his dad was killed in a snowmobile accident. He had been riding with Tana Musgrove on a snowmobile and they crashed. Tony Hassa's father died. Tana Musgrove went to the hospital and recovered. From the time that he was six years old to the time that he was 21, Tony Hassa kept thinking to himself, what if she hadn't been there? What if my dad had never met this lady? He didn't think that she was responsible. She wasn't even driving. But just the fact that they were friends and knew each other had put them by a series of, of, of accidents of fate onto the same snowmobile at the same time and led to his death. And so when he turned 21, Tony Hassa tracked down his dad's old friend from when he was six years old. And he stabbed her and her boyfriend to death. And that's obviously a pretty rare case, right? But the fact of the matter is, it speaks to something very deep in our human experience. And that is, is 
there has to be punishment. There has to be, there's got to be some meaning in this. And, 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 and we as people, we're looking, we're thinking, how could this have happened? couple of facts about uh, homicide in the United States is very interesting. There's about 26,000 murders per year in the United States, uh, which is not good. Um, we are high for um, first world nations. But this is really interesting. So in the last about 20 years, uh, sociologists and uh, psychologists have been trying to figure out why. What's causing these murders? Um, we do know that about 21,000 of those will, be, uh, will involve firearms. Um, but so the, the social scientists, they did a study in 2019. They, we've actually got a bunch of studies in the pipeline. They haven't come out yet. But the first uh, was done in New Jersey. They found 540 homicides that the police understood who was killed by whom and why. And what they found was that 65% were motivated by some type of revenge. You're sleeping with my wife. I'm killing you and her both. You, you ran over my cousin. I'm going to take you out. Uh, you shot... My friend, I'm going to shoot you. 65% were all motivated by some type, of, some type of retaliation or revenge. The remaining 35%, and this is very interesting, were almost entirely robbery or drug-related. Now think about this. Drug-related means gang-related, okay? And, and they took gang-related. They separated that out. But how many gang-related killings are actually some kind of retaliation? A lot! And so there's some sociologists who think that upwards of 80 to 90% of every fatal interaction, every murder in the United States of America has some connection, some relationship to retaliation, to vengeance, to jealousy. What does that mean? It means that we as human beings are naturally drawn I mean, it starts out in a good place in justice, right? You hurt me, I hurt you back. It's only right, it's only fair. But ends, what ends up happening is that the, the, it's cyclical and there, there, there tends to be an escalation that gets bigger and, and more dangerous and more fraught and, until finally you wake up one day and, oh my gosh, someone's dead. The reason the sixth principle says don't be violent is this, and this is the next thing, your note sheets. Violence is cyclical. And we could even replace retaliation with violence. Retaliation is cyclical. Even when committed on accident. Even if it's not my fault and I didn't try, it still hits something in the human heart that says, I need justice. Did you notice that uh, in the Numbers um, passage? The city of refuge, city of refuge, uh, take take a look at it again. City of refuge, city of refuge. Well, in the Old Testament, they were trying to figure out how, what to do about this, right? So God says, don't be violent. But I understand, even if in general you're not a violent people, accidents happen. Sometimes people lose their minds. Bad things happen. And so even in a, a culture, even in a community that is essentially or basically nonviolent, there's still going to be issues. And so what, is, what are we going to do about it? How, how, do we, how do we handle that? Well, they, they, they came up with this idea where the, the Levites, the priest tribe, the priest tribe didn't get their own, uh, their own place in the land. And instead, what God did is God gave six cities to the priests. 
And I have them on a, uh, a map here, so you can see that um, they're, they're distributed kind of evenly throughout the land. All those red dots are cities of refuge, uh, priest cities. And what they were for, it, it, by the way, the, the colors around them indicate different lands of different tribes. And so you can see that what's going on is God's trying to put cities that are located centrally so that priests can come from their cities to minister to various tribes and so that anyone who needs sanctuary has, is relatively close to a place of refuge. The rule in the, in the cities of refuge, the rule is, is that there's no violence of any sort whatsoever. Um, you, so if you are in a city of refuge, no one can touch you. You can't touch anyone. And so what would happen in, in, is if someone ha- was involved in a, in, a, in a death, whether intentional or not, they were told to, to flee <laughs> to the city of refuge because very likely that a, a relative of the person who died might be after them. And so they would go and they would sit in the city of refuge until the community could make a judgment about what should happen to them. This is the, it's, it's the beginning of incarceration, essentially. Uh, we in the United States have um, one of the largest uh, incarcerated populations in, in, in the world. Um, but the, did you know this? The reason for incarceration, the reason that jails were invented, prisons were invented, was not to put criminals away. It was to protect criminals from vic- Victims. And you know this intuitively because you've seen, you know, movies about the Old West, right? Where uh, some guy comes and he steals someone else's cow. And that guy's like, I wanted that cow. And so he rounds up 10 of his best buddies. He's like, hey, posse, let's go. They find the guy who stole his cow. And what do they do? They're like, sir, give him my cow back. No. They string him up. They find the nearest tree and they hang him. I'm not in favor of incarceration, but I understand the impulse because uh, what happens when there isn't a system of justice, when there isn't a system of courts, when there isn't incarceration, what happens is violence just compiles on violence and it gets out of control. And so what God says, and and I think this is kind of a takeaway for that for, for us is, you know, as much as I um, support criminal justice reform, and I do want to make sure that we are not um, over-incarcerating and that we are trying to bring about restoration uh, to people, no matter who they are or where they're from, we also have to recognize that um, there's, a, there's value and there's, there's importance to the rule of law and to a, a just and fair system of courts that keeps criminals safe from the people that they've hurt. So God's thing is don't be violent. Don't, don't be, you know, don't, don't, be, don't be retaliative. And if you can basically do that as a community, if, that, if that's basically how your community works, then you're going to have the opportunity to flourish. We saw this last week when we were talking about um, cultures of violence, especially teen cultures of violence in the United States. One of the things that happens is that there's no possibility for a, a community to flourish when everyone's living in fear all the time. There's no possibility for, you know, people to create great things and to make amazing businesses and to form incredible families. There's no possibility for thriving because your, constant, your, your survival is, is number one. But there's a step further beyond just don't be, you know, a violent, retributive, retaliative community. And that, that, that step is reserved for Christians, for people of faith. Luke 6, Jesus says this. But to you who are listening, it's very important. Whenever Jesus says, but to you who are listening, you got to check yourself because the vast majority of people aren't listening. 
Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. It's a beautiful sentiment. And one that I would like to think that I try to embody. But the reason Jesus gives this this command is this command is an extension of do not kill, do not be violent. And says, not only are you not going to be violent, instead you're going to replace that violence or that doing nothing with love. When there's people that hate you, instead of just taking it or or not retaliating, you're going to go beyond that and do good to them. When there's people who curse you, instead of just taking it or or not retaliating, you're going to bless them in return. And for those who treat you bad, instead of just laughing it off or complaining, you're going to pray for them. In 2018, there was an off-duty police officer in Dallas, Texas. Her name was Amber Geiger. She had uh, been on the job for a really long time. She was exhausted. Um, we don't know all the facts exactly, but we do know that uh, she lived in, um, in, in one floor above the, the apartment that she went to. She was in 1438, and she went and, knocked on, and tried to unlock the door to apartment 1348, just one floor down. Um, she opened the door. Some people think that uh, she may have been intoxicated. We don't know. But uh, she opened the door, and um, both and Jean, a, an immigrant and accountant from St. Lucia, was uh, sitting at the table eating ice cream. She unholstered her weapon and fired two shots, hitting him in the chest twice. And he died uh, in the hospital. At the time, this uh, caused a whole bunch of stuff. White, female, police officer, um, black victim. And there was uh, a lot of concern because originally she was charged with manslaughter. And a lot of people thought that that was because the police were protecting their own. Um, And the DA was as well. When in fact, she was much more culpable. She eventually was charged uh, with murder. And she was convicted. Before her sentencing... um, the family of both and Jean were allowed to speak to her and to the judge. And in this next clip, we're going to see what um, Bothan's younger brother, Brant, uh, had to say to the killer of his brother. I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. 
because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. The sixth principle is designed to to minimize violence because God understands what happens is when people go after each other, it just escalates and escalates. But it doesn't change the fact that there are times when Horror happens. And just as just as God created cities of refuge for those who are accused, for those who are guilty, Jesus' loving forgiveness is the last and only true city of refuge for us. Because his love is forgiving love. It holds no account of wrongs. It starts fresh every single time. It's the kind of love that blesses and prays for and does good to. I don't know what uh, you bring in here today. The last thing here in note sheets is this sixth principle. Refuge from retaliation is only truly found in Jesus' forgiving love. The kind of love that could cause a brother to hug his brother's murderer in court. As we're thinking about these things, I know that we're not generally a violent people. I don't see a lot of fist fights in here, carousing and whatnot. But it's not just violence. It's retaliation. It's the principle behind violence that infects us still. Just because we're not killing each other doesn't mean that we're not holding grudges and holding on to bitterness. And so I have a couple of questions to think about refuge, about how to get to refuge. And, and the, the, first, the first one is this. Have you been victimized by violence or abuse? That's a tough question, um, and a lot of us don't like to deal with it, but it, it, 
it is a real one. If it's happening now, you need to get get free. Um, I've been, I've known uh, people, kids, who uh, have been in situations of abuse. That needs to, to end. So if that's you, you come talk to me after the service, and we're going to make sure that you have an escape route. Um, but more to the point of, of all of our experience uh, is number two. Have you hurt someone intentionally or unintentionally and haven't made it right? If you're a perpetrator, even though you didn't mean it, you didn't mean to make that person jealous. You didn't mean to hurt that person's feelings. You didn't mean to do those things. It doesn't change the fact that they're hurt. And maybe you did. Maybe you were sick and tired of their smug attitude. And so you took them down a notch. Make it right. Because if you don't, the, ca- the consequences could be catastrophic. If you set off that, that chain of retaliation, you don't cut it off with love, with doing good, with blessing, with praying. If you don't cut it off, things could get really, really bad. And number three, have you been hurt? Intentionally or unintentionally, and you haven't forgiven and tried to reconcile by the way, forgiveness and reconciliation are two, two things. If, if, if you, if you, have, if you tell, tell me that you've forgiven someone and you haven't tried to have a relationship with them, you, you're wrong. You haven't. doesn't mean you have to have a relationship with them. They might be toxic. They might be terrible. But if you haven't tried, if you're not open to that, then I don't know if you've really forgiven them. And the thing is, is if you don't, then it might fester. And it might turn into a life of bitterness. You might become the very thing that hurt you. And last, what about the people next to you? Do you know of a relationship that badly needs refuge from retaliation? Do you know people who are hurting each other over and over and over again? And you see the escalation over time. There's no guarantee that it'll work, but man, intercede with Jesus' forgiving love and see what can happen. See if you can sabotage the cycle of retaliation with the good news of the gospel that forgiveness is for all, that life is for all. That everyone needs a city of refuge at some point or another. And Jesus is that refuge. And if you can simply accept his grace and then return it to the person who's been hurting you. Then imagine what a community would look like with the, 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 the gossip and the backbiting. It would all cease. The jealousy and the confusion. Gone. This would be a place, a, a shining beacon on a hill. Where people would look and be like... That, that's the life I want to live. Those, those people are happy. Someone I'd like to invite you guys back up um, to help us close. But, but as, we're, as we're closing, remember the goal. The goal is not perfection. The goal is not uh, to be the best. Instead, the goal is to have a community that is holy, that is thriving, that is nourishing, a 
A community that, that gets rid of retaliation, that pushes away from one upsmanship, that instead lives in a cycle not of violence and retaliation, but a cycle of forgiveness and love. Let's be that community. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, the true city of refuge, the one who embraces us all, no matter our background, no matter what we've done or where where we're going, who just offers grace. God, we thank you for Brant Jean, for his heart of forgiveness in the face of losing his brother. We pray, God, that you will create that heart of forgiveness, of compassion, of recognizing that we don't deserve anything and that you've loved us anyway. I pray that we'll be people who even though they don't deserve it, will love them anyway. And in that, God, I pray that you'll bring about forgiveness and reconciliation, sabotaging the cycle of retaliation and turning us into a community filled with love. Jesus, it's your sacrifice that we follow. It's your suffering we imitate. It's your glorified, resurrected life that we look forward to. In your name we pray, amen.